Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Primal Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, and anti-aging supplement, available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, L. Russ. Hey everyone, welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, coming to you from Malibu, California on this beautiful day. Today we have with us one of the most famous biohackers and uh, health aficionados out there, Ben Greenfield from bengreenfieldfitness.com. Ben is a biohacker, a human body and brain performance coach, ex-bodybuilder, Ironman triathlete. I mean, there's really nothing this guy hasn't done from anti-aging consulting to being the author of a New York Times bestseller, Beyond Training, Mastering Endurance, Health, and Life, among many other books. Welcome to the show, Ben. And and you, you forgot, I have baby goats now. Oh, do you? Oh, that's the most important part of the introduction. Yeah, five new baby goats. They're little Nigerian dwarf goats. It's amazing. They were just born like five days ago, and they're already jumping all over the place on the old tires we have in the backyard and going up and down the ramps, and they're... I, we're, we're probably going to get rid of most of them just because we can't. We we already have a couple more, and we can't handle seven goats. But uh, they're they're so cool. They're like my latest obsession is these tiny little dwarf goats. Yeah, so you're a farmer. Yeah, <laughs> they're so cute, and they're actually really affectionate. It's a weird thing when you come across some goats; they can really snuggle up with you and bury themselves in you. It's super cute. Well, they're they're very affectionate. Yep, they're they're like little puppies. And dwarf goats are nice because they're they're extremely hardy in the winter. So we have Icelandic chickens and dwarf goats. But a Nigerian dwarf goat milk has a huge amount of butter fat, so it's very creamy, and they produce a lot of milk for a tiny little goat. An amazing amount of milk. It's a smaller protein, right? So it's a little bit more thermodynamically favorable for a human to be able to digest. A lot of people who can't do cow's milk, they can do uh, goat's milk just fine. And I believe it's recommended to give to babies instead of cow's milk as a preference. Yeah, it is. Yep. Very high in minerals, very high in electrolytes, higher in colostrum than like a goat milk's. Yeah. And, and easier to milk. Nice, nice small teats. So not, so not too much of a chore. Your fingers don't get tired. How often are you consuming it? Oh, we do milk, cheese, kefir, yogurt just about every day. I have at least a serving. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big, uh, I'm not a big proponent of just like drinking milk as a staple, unless you're kind of trying to get swole or unless you're a child. Uh, as a bodybuilder, I've, you know, back in the day, it was a perfect way to put on muscle, but it is, it's a good way to make a mammal fat too. So as humans, you have to be a little bit careful. I I'll use it more in its fermentable form as a condiment, you know, to improve my bacterial diversity. So, you know, a dollop of yogurt here and there, or a few ounces of kefir into the smoothie, or, you know, Jess will make like a cheese and I'll have that on top of some greens, that type of thing. That's amazing. I want to get into all of the things you've done. You've written so many books, your website, Ben Greenfield Fitness is amazing. You also sell products and you have videos up there that are, that are so great. You can join your community and get coaching from you either one-on-one -on -one or in a group setting. And we'll get into all the ways people can connect with you. But for those that don't know your story, can you tell us how you even 
got to this point? You know, what was it that brought you into the world of continually biohacking yourself and then really making a life of it to help others? Oh, well, my story isn't that exciting. I, I, uh, I've never been a wounded healer or morbidly obese or, or anything along those lines. I've just always really loved health and fitness. And even as a boy running around in the sunshine with the wind in my hair and the sun in my face and, you know, grew up with a love for, for tennis and basketball and running and lifting and, and studied that in college and continued to, to, uh, after getting a degree in, in biomechanics and physiology and considering for a, for a brief while a stint in medicine, I uh, just continued down the road of, of helping people out with fitness and nutrition and now a lot more in the realm of anti-aging and, and biohacking and spirituality and, and the like. But yeah, it's just something I've really always done, always immersed myself in physical culture, really. Well, you were you, you were named not too long ago by Greatest as one of the top 100 most influential people in health and fitness. And I'd love to know of all the things you've done, what is one of the things that's been most exciting to you or that's most exciting to you now, whether it's something you recently researched and have adopted into your life, or if there's a theme among coaching clients you've had that kind of stares at you and says, oh, wow, this is the kind of a theme that keeps coming up with people. What what's something that stands out to you of all the things you've done? Because you've done so many amazing things. Mm, that's a great question. I would say the first three things that pop into my mind would be the following: purpose, hormesis, and uh, gratitude. So the first purpose, uh, the, the reason that's been on my mind of late is because I'm racing professionally right now in Spartan racing for Reebok. And before that, raced for Timex for in Ironman triathlon, and you know before that was was doing you know bodybuilding and and uh, you know playing playing college tennis and always been been pursuing uh, quite a few different sports for the sake of that sport. But what I've been thinking about more lately is this idea of fitness with a purpose, meaning that, sure, you could go sign up for a Spartan race or a triathlon or a Tough Mudder or a you know, CrossFit competition, etc. But when you step back and you look at it, you are doing fitness for the sake of fitness, right? Or perhaps you're doing fitness for the sake of the, the social aspects, the team camaraderie, or if you're a leader, like a personal trainer or a coach, the chance to inspire others. But I am becoming more and more interested in forms of fitness and forms of movement that have even a deeper purpose. You know, they, they say that for a man, for example, not to get too sexist here, the three P's of manhood are to, 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 to procreate, uh, to provide. And now I am completely blanking on the last one. What is it? Procreate provide and protect protect is the third uh and that that second one provide i th i think that you know for me i've been uh discovering more and more how fulfilling that is and specifically what i mean by that is i've i've had a great deal of focus on breath work in terms of hypoxia and hyperoxia and the use of you know even some of the biohacks that i have here around my house like you know uh uh, oxygen concentration machines or, or hyperbaric machines or, or hypoxia machines uh, to to hiking and rucking and shooting my bow and swimming. Uh, all of these things, you know, and, and even meditation and, and paying attention to, to breath control uh, from a heart rate standpoint, from a parasympathetic nervous system standpoint. 
all of these things kind of coming to a head uh, for for two reasons uh, to to shoot my bow and be able to hunt and gather animals a little bit more efficiently and to be able to spearfish better. Uh, I love to bow hunt. I love to spearfish. And I'm finding that from kind of like a, a purposeful application of fitness standpoint, having something like that in your life where you're literally doing fitness to satisfy that built-in ancestral mechanism to just freaking eat. It's kind of, it's kind of cool, you know, and for, and for, for, for some of you listening in, yeah, it might be wild plant foraging. It might be fishing. It might be spearfishing. It might be bow hunting. It might be, um, you know, hiking together spring water, you know, whatever it is. But I think including something like that in one's life, that's something that's been uh, a real goal of mine lately to ensure that I'm not just doing fitness for the sake of fitness's sake, if that makes sense. It does. But I guess I would ask, so let's say I'm not going to hunt my own animals uh, and I'm not going to spearfish my own fish and I'm not training for an Ironman, then where can I find purpose with some of these other things? Sure. If I'm not foraging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My wife is outside right now. I can see her through my office window. She is pushing a wheelbarrow. Her hands are all dirty. She's appears to be she's digging around in the compost pile today, but she has eight big raised garden beds. And when she's not tending for those little Nigerian dwarf goats or taking care of the chickens, you know, sources of milk and eggs for the family or for the neighbors or for the people at church, she's also uh, growing plants and harvesting. And that that's another perfect example of something that you can do. You know, you can you can start a little garden and be out in the sunshine and digging around and squatting and lunging and carrying and and you know even even transporting you know rocks and weeding and things like that. Something that has purpose. And and so no, you don't have to be chasing things to kill them. Or it could be like rearranging your house. It could be rearranging your house and improving your feng shui. It could be bringing uh, new life into the world through plant matter. You know, for example. Um, but yeah, ultimately having, having that, that at least one activity during the week where your fitness is above and beyond just say the selfish pursuit of a six pack abs or just the desire to cross the finish line for the sake of the finish line. So that's, that's one thing that's been on my mind lately. And I want to highlight that because, you know, this is kind of a classic pattern where we go to the gym or we do some outdoor activity, doesn't matter how primal or whether it's literally a step class, but then we go home and we sit for eight hours, right? Yeah. You know, so, so that, that just breeds right into that. Um, and you know, what we suggest everyone is, you know, don't go back to the office and just sit. You got to stand every once in a while. If you're in that kind of environment where you can't be outside all day and have the luxury of doing some, you know, kind of primal workouts. If you have to go to the gym and knock it out, then make sure you're doing some primal movements elsewhere. Or maybe when you go home and you need to watch your television show, do it while you're organizing and cleaning up stuff, you know, some kind of primal movements. Yeah, sure. And and you can you can incorporate those in tiny little bites into your day-to-day routine. You know, our mutual friend uh, Mark Sisson and I were actually playing Frisbee down there in Malibu a few weeks ago, and we were talking about the hex bar the hex bar deadlift and how useful of an exercise that is and how correlated it is to things like grip strength and longevity and sprint speed. And, you know, I, I now have this, this hex bar and you literally have to trip over it to get out of my office. So it's <laughs> loaded up with weight and I just have this rule, you know, it used to be pull-ups, you know, I have the pull-up bar upstairs. When I walk underneath the pull-up bar, I got to do three pull-ups and I still have that rule. But now when I walk in my office, I got to stop, get down, good position, do one deadlift. 
So yeah, sprinkling things like that throughout the day is is incredibly useful and can can almost like simulate that hunter gatherer esque lifestyle. Now you, you glossed over frisbee with Mark, so I want to uh, first of all, I'm very bummed I didn't know about that. I would have met you down at the field <laughs> if you would, if I knew you were in town playing frisbee with Mark. I, I actually, you know, I come to Malibu about once a quarter. I'm down there uh, hanging out. I, I I coach a few of of the local people down there for for their health and their you know their their anti aging and things like that and get down there and meet with some clients and hang out sometimes. So I'll, I'll, I'll briefly go through the other two. Uh, the next one is, um, like I mentioned, uh, this concept of hormesis and I pretty much now every single day go out of my way to do three things. One, I already mentioned when I was talking about Frisbee golf, for example, and that would be that, that and I learned this from like this, this, uh, guy, he's, he's one of the, the top old, old Ironman triathletes on the face of the planet. And the rule is good because it just, it's like taking a fire hose to the arteries and jacking up your lactic acid at least once a day. And, and the rule is this, you just go anaerobic every day. So brief amounts of, of exposure to lactic acid every day. So for me, if I've gotten to the end of the day and, and by anaerobic, I mean, you spend anywhere from about one minute to two minutes engaged in some form of intensity. And that's all it takes really go anaerobic every day. If you do that seven days a week, you know, you're getting good 14 minutes of anaerobic activity, but it's brief bouts of this, you know, the, this mild stress. So we're not talking about like running a 5k every day. We're talking about two minutes, you know, and, and for me, it's like the perfect sweet spot is those 30 burpees, right? You know, 30 burpees is, is two minutes of going anaerobic every day. The next one is that I, I sweat every day. So if it's not the summer and it's and it's the fall or the winter up here, I get inside a dry sauna or a steam sauna or an infrared sauna, and I do that every day. I open up the pores every single day and engage in a mild amount of heat stress for all the benefits that that provides from a growth hormone and a cardiovascular blood flow and a heat shock protein standpoint and all the other benefits of heat. And then, of course, uh, folks could probably guess this last one. I get cold every day. So I take a cold shower for anywhere from two to five minutes every day. And if I even go for a full week without you know doing any formal exercise or, or a whole ton of movement because I'm busy, if I go anaerobic every day and I figure out a way to break a sweat every day, even if it's not through exercise, if it's through this just heat, sauna, et cetera, driving around in the car without turning the air conditioning on, uh, and I get cold every day, uh, I feel pretty good that, that, that keeps the body um, keeps the body guessing, so to speak, and churning out its little endogenous antioxidants, uh, and you know, shuts down some inflammatory cytokines, and exposes the body to just these mild amounts of reactive oxygen species that allow it to have that that bounce back uh, compensatory fitness response each day. So that's that's the second thing, and then the third thing uh, is that uh, what I've been doing now every single day. And uh, I even uh, shameless plug. I have a a Kickstarter campaign going right now for a journal I've designed based on this concept. Is I'm grateful every day and every morning I wake up and I not only write down one thing that I'm grateful for, but I also write down one truth that I've discovered. Meaning that I read every morning, and when I read with the realization that after I read. I'll need to write down one truth that I discovered. I read with more intention than just, you know, squinting through the through the eye boogers that you have when you wake up and, and kind of briefly skimming over what you're reading. And then I identify one person who I can help or who I can pray for or who I can serve that day. So I have no daily affirmation, right? I have no me, 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 I, I, I. It's it's basically entirely others facing. And so that's how I wake up each day. What am I grateful for? 
uh, what truth did I discover and who can I help or pray for or serve that day? And so, um, so in addition to, to ensuring that my fitness actually has a purpose, some kind of like ancestrally driven purpose, uh, I also would say that the other two things I've been interested in of late, uh, would be this concept of daily hormesis in the form of cold heat and going anaerobic and then daily gratefulness. I really want to get into the gratitude stuff, but before I do, I want to ask you a quick question. You mentioned that your cold shower was two to five minutes. How long are you doing a sweat sauna session for, roughly? For me, I go in the sauna for about 20 to 30 minutes, and I, it, there's not one specific time of day that I'll go, although I do like the morning um, I love to read. And so a lot of times I'll save up things that I've been waiting to read and I preheat the sauna and I go in the sauna and I light some incense or a candle. And sometimes I'll put a little bit of music on. I have one of these clear light saunas. It's like a big sauna that you can get inside. And I just, uh, I sit in there and I sweat and I read or sometimes in the morning I'll go in there and do yoga. And like I mentioned, sometimes I don't have the opportunity to go into a sauna or sometimes it's summer. I don't need to go into the sauna. Uh, but ultimately, for me, it's about 20 to 30 minutes that I'm in there. That's great. So uh, gratitude is really important. I stress it a lot in my life and my coaching. The more you're grateful for what you have, the more things you're brought to be grateful about, in my opinion. But you do call it a Christian gratitude journal. So I want to ask you a couple of questions about that. Wh- where did your faith originate? Have you always been um, a Christian? Yeah. Yeah. Not only have I always been a Christian, but I've always uh, had a firm belief that, you know, as Dan Buettner discovered when he wrote the book Blue Zones, that uh, there there is some amount of solidarity and hope and purpose in life when you have this belief in a higher power and you have a belief in some kind of an afterlife. And I think that it creates a lot more meaning uh, to existence versus believing that we're just like a bunch of random blobs of flesh hurling through space on a giant rock. So for me to wake up every day and know that no matter what happens, everything's going to going to be okay. There's a story written for my life. Uh, I am never going to be alone and entirely by myself because I always have that, you know, that, that spirit world that I can enter the higher power that I can, that I can converse with. And then also to have that, that solidarity knowing that my time on this earth is limited, but there is an afterlife that I can, I can appreciate and enjoy forever. Kind of causes you to, you know, as ironic as it may seem for a guy who is heavily engaged in anti-aging and longevity and helping other people with that, it also kind of keeps you from grasping too much at straws, from clinging too much to this life and to this body. And so, um, you know, I've grown to appreciate all those aspects of religion and of Christianity, uh, but I personally grew up. Uh, as a Christian, you know, my, my, uh, my father was a first generation Christian having, uh, having grown up as a kind of a, a troublesome, you know, uh, drug dealer in Miami. His brother was murdered, uh, while dealing, uh, cocaine to Cubans down there. He nearly escaped with his life and moved to Idaho where he met my mother, uh, who was a, uh, a second generation Christian, uh, herself and then kind of, uh, moved up, up to Idaho from Detroit. Uh, and it was kind of similar reasons, you know, she, she was getting in trouble and wanted to kind of reinvent her life. And so, uh, so they met and they married and they, they raised us, us Greenfield boys and girls, uh, in Northern Idaho as, as uh, little barefoot homeschooled Christians. And so that's, that's how I grew up. So on that note, as someone who is looking deeply into paleo primal ancestral evolutionary history 
and science with what we know about how long humans have evolved and et cetera. How do you reconcile Christians or people who follow the Bible that believe the earth and the world is, you know, three to 5,000 years old or even less? Yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting. You know, every every culture, nearly every culture has some story of a of a great flood or a great catastrophe wiping out the planet. And I certainly believe that there was a time uh, since since the world originated that that there was a, a great catastrophe that wiped everything out and kind of pushed the reboot button. And I think that catastrophe was of the magnitude uh, because every culture has this story about it. And you know, of course, in 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 the Bible, it, it's the great flood, and in, in many cultures, it actually is some form of water or rain from the heavens or, or flood from the earth. Uh, but I think that there there is enough catastrophe created by enough water to cover the entire planet or to wipe out the whole earth or you know a, enough of of an atmospheric fallout from let's say if if the heavens above us were were um if they had a great deal more moisture in them or a great deal more condensation in them that that happened to fall out of the sky and, and cause this great flood, this great catastrophe that it could have caused so much uh, disruption in terms of geological disruption and in terms of disruption to uh, the the mixture of, of oxygen and nitrogen, et cetera, in the air, that it's it's difficult to to say exactly how old the earth is. I mean, you look at fossil records in the Grand Canyon and you'll find you know, like a, uh, you know, a, a dinosaur or a fossil there where, you know, a, a rock where one part of the fossil is contained is believed by carbon dating to be, you know, 5 million years old. But the rock right below it where the other half of the fossil is, is believed to be 7 million years old. But there's no way that the fossil would have died over a, you know, 2 million year long process. There's all sorts of strange things that that seem to indicate that some great catastrophe kind of messed up really our ability to be able to accurately, in my opinion, uh, say how old the, the world or the earth actually is. So I am personally, uh, open to ideas. I'm open to, I, now I am a creationist. I believe that a higher power actually created the world that we live in. I love the idea of, of living out this, this story that that there actually is magic out there, that there actually is spirit power out there, that there actually is something that created all this. I I, I just I love that idea of you know of of this story. You know, I'm a big fan of J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, and you know I'm reading the the School of Good and Evil right now, as given to me by my children. And you know I I, I certainly think that there's something inspirational and, and mystical and cool about you know believing that there is magic in the world. And there is this this spirit world that maybe helped to create what we exist in now. And I don't know if that was created, you know, for example, over millions of years or over seven days, right? There's even this talk in the Bible about how, you know, perhaps if if a day is the equivalent of a thousand years, maybe, you know, like each little page that you find in Genesis where there's a, you know, a new story of a tree being created or the plants being created or the heavens being created, that that each of those steps is thousands or millions of years. Maybe that explains, you know, how how there there might be some evidence that shows that the world is millions of years old. Or maybe it was created 12,000 years ago. And then there was a great flood that wiped a whole bunch out and, you know, pushed the reboot button, you know, 8,000 years ago. I don't know. And, you know, frankly, I'm, I'm not sure how 
much of a key that is to one's happiness and meaning, you know, one's belief of how old the world is. Well, the reason I bring it up is because while I'm not a Christian and I don't subscribe to any uh, organized religions, I believe that some of those contradictories, like, for example, whatever positive, wonderful messages that are in the Bible, it doesn't mean just because someone at the time who was writing it who didn't have proper scientific instruments and may have gotten a timeline wrong, it doesn't necessarily cancel out the message. So that's what I would say as well, right? Like, so despite someone who might be hardcore and say, nope, the Bible says it's this many years, that's what it is. Um, or someone who's like, you know what, I choose to believe the signs over here are saying something different, but that doesn't mean the whole thing is wrong either. So I like to bring right. that up. And I think that's an important point. Even, even depending on the church that you go, if you, you know, if you go into a church, there's like nine different theories of how the world was created, whether it's like, there's like gap theory and there's day age theory and there's 24 hour theory and there's scientific creationism. Like there's all these different theories and sometimes I think people get a little bit too dogmatic and too caught up in that. Like I'm, you know, as silly as it may seem, I'm one of those people that that's more like, you know, again, like not not to kick this horse to death, but more like J.R.R. Tolkien, where I'm like, you know what? I'm part of this, this magical existence where I believe in a spirit world and I believe in God. I believe in a higher power. I believe in an afterlife. I believe that there is magic and that there, there are elements in earth and air and water and fire and, you know, invisible things that affect the human body from air to light, to water, to electricity that sometimes we can't quite put our finger on, but that can drastically affect our health and our happiness and, you know, I, I certainly think that that even in, in health and fitness circles, people are becoming more uh, more open to the idea of quantum physics and more open to the idea of spirituality and more open to the idea of something like gratitude increasing or, or, or rather decreasing the rate at which uh, telomeres shorten, you know, and, and having a distinct scientific longevity effect despite it being an invisible emotion. Ultimately, I'm I'm a fan of believing that all that exists regardless of whether you believe, you know, whatever in, in, uh, uh, gap theory versus theistic evolution versus the, the existence or non-existence of a great flood. You know what I'm saying? I do. And the other, you know, sort of biblical objections sometimes people get to health is, well, but grains are in the Bible and, um, yeah, they were, but also you have to factor in when it was written and when agriculture happened. And then also, too, the grains we see today really aren't truly what they were back then anyway. So I just want to... Oh, actually, I, I, would disagree, I would disagree with you. I think a lot of the grains actually are. You know, I've done extensive travel over to Israel and I've eaten a lot of Galilean cuisine. And, um, you know, for example, I uh, and my wife make bread here at the house. We get a local a non-GMO red wheat uh, from the Palouse that is probably somewhat similar to the type of grains you might see in, in like a, uh, you know, in, in the Bible or in, in ancient cultures. And we slow ferment it, you know, using a very ancestral preparation mechanism. And, you know, we deactivate the gluten and lower the glycemic index and, and we eat bread and, and we cook amaranth and, and millet and we soak and sprout quinoa and, we do all sorts of things with with grains around our house and and, and love them because you're doing it the correct way. Yeah, exactly. When you do them, though, and that's the thing, you know, you go out and buy Wonder Bread, and that's the point I'm making. Is that yeah. and no offense to that company, it's just that's the kind of point I'm making. Is that yeah. that shouldn't be looked at as equal to what was back then. And if you want to kind of get back to basics, you have to do what you're doing. Yeah, and and furthermore, I should point out that while my children don't. Uh, they, they don't take many supplements. Uh, they do use, uh, this thing called lignite, 
uh, which is uh, something that's that's been shown clinically to block the effect of uh, glyphosate on the gut in terms of glyphosate's ability to allow some of these larger gluten proteins to cross the blood-gut barrier. Uh, and it also improves a lot of the diversity of, of gut bacteria related to the inflammation caused by glyphosate. And the reason for that is even though we, we purchase like an organic non-GMO wheat berry that we make our bread with, um, my children take a shot of this before they eat any type of grain product simply because you know, I think that glyphosate these days is, is it's blowing all over the place. It's, it's in crops that can still be labeled as organic, sadly enough. And so I still take steps to mitigate the damage that go above beyond, you know, soaking and sprouting and fermenting. We, you know, I, I use the supplements. I interviewed that guy on my podcast who, uh, who developed this stuff called Lignite, um, which is what I just described. He has a supplement called Restore that that I take now before every meal, just just because of that. You know, I I I don't want to be a shill for this guy's product or anything like that, but I just want to point out the fact that even when you're eating these modern grains, you still have to sometimes do things that help to mitigate the damage. You know, another example of that would be, uh, you know, Dr. Stephen Gundry wrote The Plant Paradox in which he talks about lectins and, you know, he he discusses certain supplements and certain compounds from, you know, gluten polypeptidase to other forms of, of lectin digesting enzymes that can help when we living in a modern environment uh, get assailed with things that, frankly, you know, as nasty as it is, they poke holes in our gut lining. Yeah, Stephen Gundry's book is really interesting. I also uh, interviewed him recently as well. He's uh, that's a fascinating book, an expose on that topic. Before we move on, I want to just um, touch again on gratitude. You must have received feedback from people who were not into this practice that got into it and then saw the changes in their life. I'd like to hear about some of those because I know how powerful it is. Well, I'm probably a, a perfect example of someone who lived pretty selfishly and did not wake up uh, with realization of gratitude or serving others or spending just a little bit of extra time in bed with the overwhelming over, overwhelming feeling of, of like the affluence of time, right? That there's going to be enough time. I don't have to jump out of bed to check emails and do Facebook and do Twitter and do my morning routine, et cetera. And instead, it's okay to give myself permission to just lay here and appreciate reading something like an inspirational or a devotional or a spiritual book or a self-improvement book or something that doesn't have anything to do with like, you know, science and fitness and achievement and, and then go on to dwell upon that thing that I'm grateful for and to dwell upon the truth that I've discovered and to think of someone who I can help. And for me, starting every day like that has actually caused me to blossom into becoming more interested in serving others in general. And that's one thing that gratefulness has been shown to do is it actually rewires areas of the brain, different cortices that are responsible for empathy, meaning that for some reason, expressing gratitude each day allows us to understand others' emotions and others' uh, body patterns, others' characteristics more uh, more efficiently. We're actually able to read people better and be more empathetic to other people. So I'm now finding myself, you know, going to nursing homes and playing music on the weekends to, you know, like, like old hymns and, you know, Peter, Paul and Mary and, you know, different, different songs to people on my ukulele and my guitar along with my kids at the nursing home, just because I happen to have written down something I was grateful for that day and someone who I could help that day. I find myself calling grandma more and calling mom more and, you know, calling my family more and staying in closer touch with my loved ones. 
um, I find myself less stressed out during the day, you know, breathing more deeply, better heart rate variability. I actually quantify this, you know, every morning I wake up and I take my HRV and, and I've found positive effects all around the board with those type of practices. My children are another perfect example. They have the gratitude journal and they actually journal every single morning themselves. And every night as a family, we all bring our journals to the table and we used to kind of manja manja and stuff stuff face. We used to just like gather around the table and our gaping maws would, would consume the food right away. But now it's like our, our family dinners at night will last like an hour as, as everybody goes around, they talk about what we're grateful for. And then, you know, what truth that we discovered and who we identified to serve for that day. And then, you know, all of a sudden we're, you know, we're calling grandma on the phone or we're, we're having some kind of like a table topic style family discussion. And it just, it's, it's transformed our family evenings into this intense time of bonding, which is kind of interesting. And just with that simple act of everybody bringing their journal to the table, because all of a sudden you have fodder for discussion and discussion kind of blossoms in, into, or, you know, rabbit holes and into other topics. And so that's another interesting thing that has happened in addition to my kids just being more aware and more appreciative of the world around them when they're starting each day with, with gratitude. So those are just a couple examples, you know, in, in myself and my family. What a great way to get out of the normal dinner conversation rut that can happen. You know, how's your day? How was school? And you just kind of, sometimes the parents aren't even listening to the answer. It's a sort of a, a formulaic scenario. I love that you and your family are bringing back that true quality time instead of bringing the iPads to the table, right? I mean, that's just such a wonderful thing everybody can do to change around their family. Um, I also, I love that you mentioned, you know, that, it, it, you know, you find you're calling grandma more or mom more. Um, I find that the more I practice gratitude and do the gratitude journal and spend some time really in that space of thinking about it, I express gratitude to others more. You know, you're in that moment, you feel what you're so grateful about. And I think that's where sort of the calls to mom are prompted, right? You look back on something you might be grateful for in your childhood. You might see somebody who's in a wheelchair and think, oh, you know, thank, thank God I have my legs. And, and then that makes you think of maybe how protected you were as a kid and you call mom, you know, it just, it really just spreads it out. And I love that you've created this journal and you're, you're putting it out there. So everyone needs to check that out. Tell us, there's so many great ways to connect with you and learn from you. Aside from your great podcast, uh, you have an inner circle on your website. There's ways we can get online and look at how your your wife is preparing healthy meals. There's video of you and your wife on your website. That's great. How can we connect and learn from you and move forward and get healthier with you and through you? I know you're, you offer a variety of, of platforms here. So if you could just sort of mention some of them, that'd be great. Okay. Uh I get on Snapchat every day and I do a crazy story, usually something mildly offensive <laughs> or something that I know is okay because it's going to disappear in 24 hours. Uh, <laughs> it's at um, bengreenfieldfitness.com slash Snapchat if you want the weird stuff. Great. Uh, I also do a Facebook Live just about every day. Like this morning, it was me you know, in my underwear early this morning at about 5 a.m. showing people how to do self-neck traction when they get up to save money from going to a chiropractic doc. Uh, yeah, so I do stuff like that on Facebook and, and, uh, you could, you could just go to, well, I'll give you the URL. It's facebook.com slash BG fitness. That's another kind of good resource. I read for about an hour every morning and most of it is research articles and journal articles. And I tweet the most interesting ones along with my comments on them in 140 characters or less. Uh, and so it's a good way for you to keep on top of the latest health and fitness and biohacking and anti-aging and nutrition research. That is at, uh, Twitter dot com slash Ben Greenfield. 
Or if you just go to bengreenfieldfitness.com, I believe if you scroll down to the bottom of the page, a link to all of those different social media channels uh, is there along with Pinterest and Instagram. And, and my, my rule in life is that I try to be helpful and not just post adoring photographs of my food or my goats. So, uh, so hopefully you find something though that can, that can help you out and make your life better. But bengreenfieldfitness.com is a good place to start. And we will put all of the social media links and everything into, uh, the, the show notes as well. Um, what are you working on right now? What, what's something new that a new project you're working on or a new book or what's your latest interest? Well, uh, you know, like I mentioned, I actually right now have that, uh, that Kickstarter going for the gratitude journal. I just shipped literally thousands and thousands of them over from Taiwan and they're beautiful hardcover bound journals. So those are over at, uh, christiangratitude.com, uh, if you want to support the Kickstarter over there. And then, um, in addition to that, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing a lot of, a lot of traveling specifically for, for racing. You know, I, I'm, I'm wrapping up my, my Spartan race season here. And so doing quite a bit of travel for that, along with some speaking, I'll be traveling to Finland to speak and Iceland to speak and, uh, kind of, kind of all over the world. And, um, yeah, th- those are really the biggies, you know, and, and then just generally I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to, uh, to hunt down uh, a lot of really good superfoods and and ingredients and formulations and fitness products and try and try and tell people about those and make those available and so I just I just made like a a bar for example and um, I'm trying to uh, to create like a little like a morning morning smoothie uh, and uh, yeah so I'm trying to kind of get into get into food and supplements a little bit more but. Ultimately, my passion is just finding information and presenting it to people in a way that they can understand that makes their lives better. So That's so great. Now, I know you've coached one-on-one many times in your life. You've spoken to so many people, I'm sure with health issues, trying to get back on track. What do you see as you know a thoroughfare theme or a common objection, something that people out there can relate to? that you've come across, you know, I, you know, of course there's always the like, Oh, I don't have time, you know, or, you know, any kind of sort of, is there a common theme excuse sort of, um, that you've noticed out there that could maybe help others who are maybe thinking that way right now? I actually ran into that just this morning as I was doing that, that little <laughs> neck traction video on Facebook. <laughs> Someone was like, do you have a job? How do you even have the time to hang yourself from a neck traction <laughs> device and then do yoga before the day? And I'm like, you know what? I have certain little things that I sacrifice and certain little rules that I follow. So for example, let, let's just, let's just go with the time one since you brought it up, Bill. Um, I don't watch TV and I rarely, rarely will watch a movie. I'm a complete dummy when it comes to Hollywood. I think the cons outweigh the pros of knowing what's going on with Hollywood celebrities and with with TV and with movies. I, I get their entertainment value. Yeah, I'll take my kids to Despicable Me and laugh my ass off, but that might be one of the only movies that I'll go to during the year. Aside from the fact that, and I've told people this before, when I'm flying internationally, my MO, uh, and hopefully the feds aren't listening in, is I'll typically pop an edible while I'm standing in line at TSA. I will get high and I will watch one movie that someone's been telling me to watch for months and months on the plane. And that's typically like the one to two movies that I'll watch per year will be on a plane, uh, high, 
uh, in, in both aspects of the word, both above earth as well as in my mind. And I'll have a great time and then fall asleep on the plane. Um, I love that you admitted that. Um, I, (laughs) it's a great way to fly. I'm telling you. Well, that's great. Also, this goes back to, uh, maybe the previous discussion on, Hey, in in your world, I guess you'd be like, look, God put it there. So smoke it or eat it. (laughs) Um, Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, like I'm, I'm right now, I mean, I've got ayahuasca incense burning in my office while we're talking and frankly, the, the incense is not the same as the plant, but I am, I embrace all forms of plant-based medicine and anything that, that any, any good green thing that God has put on planet earth to smoke or eat or vape, I will take part in, uh, responsibly. I have a question on that though. What do you feel is the benefit to you? So with THC, for example, whether you eat it, smoke it, vape it, doesn't matter. What do you notice aside from the psychoactive benefits of being high and the, the, enjoyment of that. What are other things that you have noticed that you feel are beneficial or is that the only one? Well, uh, with let's say THC, for example, I become very musical. I'm wired up musically, uh, to really appreciate music. And I love to do some singing and songwriting. And for me, um, and I, I, I never endorsed being irresponsible or getting yourself to the point where you couldn't take care of your family if your house were on fire. Right. But, but taking, you know, 10 to 20 milligrams of THC, for example, really opens me up musically. Uh, when I am writing, I'm writing a, a fiction book right now. And I also do a great deal of kind of like right, right, left brain hemispheric switching during the day, because a lot of my writing is a blend of, of scientific research as well as, you know, kind of trying to keep things uh, applicable to the lay person and funny and entertaining. And so I like LSD for that. So I'll microdose with LSD to engage in a little bit more lateral thinking pattern, creativity, left, right brain hemisphere coordination. I like uh, psilocybin for for hiking, uh, for hunting, for fishing, for nature experiences, for any situation in which you want to enhance color or vibrancy or the mood of nature. Um, I like uh, I like CBD for the relaxation effects without the psychotropic effects, without the paranoia-like effects that THC might give you, uh, and also for some of the the hormonal and the anti-inflammatory effects that CBD can give you. Uh, you know, I like uh, I like microdosing, frankly, with with iboga, a pretty strong plant based medicine, but it's also very good for for a tough workout as long as your heart is healthy. Uh, you don't want to do that if you have like PVCs or arrhythmias or anything like that. But you know, that, that's a great kind of like like pre workout as a microdose, and so um, and of course as a, as a macrodose, uh, quite a uh, quite a, a hefty trip. It's it's uh, even more so than than ayahuasca, something that will bring you to a completely different place altogether when it comes to, to self-discovery. Uh, anyways though, so, so yeah, I think, I think that, that a lot of them have their, their applicability and their benefit and we totally got derailed from the time management discussion. Uh, that's okay. No, go ahead and continue on that. We have some time. Go ahead. That's closing the loop on, on the psychoactive one. If you have more questions, I'm, I'm cool with that. But, uh, yeah, so I don't watch movies. I don't watch TV. I live life by the rule that not a whole lot of productive things happen after 9 p.m. So I generally start to get ready to go to bed or else just like, you know, make love or curl up and read a good book, like starting around like 9 p.m. or so. Like I'm not a night owl. I, I go to bed pretty early and I get up pretty early. And so you won't find me at many bars or nightclubs or social meetups or things like that in the evenings that people ask me what restaurants are good here in Spokane. I don't really know the answer because I don't go out that much. I'm generally just like eating dinner at home, sleeping at home, you know, uh, uh, getting up early, getting things done. And then I have like my man cave where I, I feel that, that 
the, the human, the average human can put in about four hours of hardcore work a day. And I lock myself away hard from like nine 30 or 10 until around one or one 30. And you will not bug me for water or for food, nothing. I'm just like horse with blinders on working my ass off for those four hours. And then, you know, I'll, I'll dive into management work, putting out fires, you know, replying to emails for a little while before dinner, those type of things later on in the day. But I have those four hours during the day that are my protected selfish time where, I mean, you, you would have to, to drag me kicking and screaming out of the house if it were on fire. I mean, like I am literally just like a horse with blinders getting work done. And so I work hard I block out distractions. I don't waste a lot of time with meaningless activities. And let's face it, I live in freaking Spokane, Washington. It's not like there's a host of entrepreneurial meetups and distractions and shiny pennies out here. I just like, I'm able, I'm able to, to work. <laughs> just a bunch of goats. Yeah, I'm able to work and get stuff done. Yeah, exactly. Just a bunch of baby goats to distract me. That's, um, you know, gosh, so four hour, I'm with you on the blocking out intensive long periods of focus. I feel you get so much more and the done and the quality of what's done in a in a block of time focus like that is way better than an hour here and there or, you know, watching TV and then breaking it up or, you know, and there just seems to be a lot of I think people could really be efficient with their time if they looked at how much they're being distracted by these things and even just cutting out one TV show in the evening can, you know, let up some time for reading. Oh my gosh, yeah, that one TV, I mean, it'd be amazing like my children and I have gone through an entire Qigong course in one month by not watching any TV at night. And after dinner for about 20 to 30 minutes, we're simply doing Qigong and, and, and just, just that alone, right? Like there's, there's no TV shows, anything, but we're actually learning. We're in front of the TV. That's the, you know, one time we will be in front of the TVs. If there's some kind of like a, a learning that we're doing where we have to learn from someone demonstrating something. And I mean, like somebody's like, how do you find the time to learn Qigong? I'm like, I'm watching that while you're watching Game of Thrones. That's how, I mean, like, you know, so so yeah, a lot of this isn't rocket science and I don't want to, I totally don't want to sound judgmental. Like if you like Game of Thrones, like do it. Like if that makes you happy, like for sure, go, go and, and watch it and enjoy it. And if, and if that's what you need at the end of the day and, 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 you know, it makes your life more meaningful, do it. But just for me personally, you know, when I get asked that question about time management and you know, how to get stuff done, et cetera, or I don't have the time. Yeah, I think there are sacrifices that you need to make or little rules that you live life by, right? Like your your hours of hardcore uninterrupted work, push notifications off, not doing a lot of movies or TV, uh, living life by that rule that not a lot productive happens after 9 p.m., getting up early, you know, th- those type of things. Right, and nothing good happens at 2 a.m. We know that. <laughs> so that's... Yeah. Um, granted, <laughs> granted I, I have changed my mind about that slightly since talking quite a bit with Michael Bruce, the author of Power of Win. I do understand now people who are night owls. Sure. I get it. I get the people that sleep until 11 a.m. I realize you're not lazy. You just, you you get all your stuff done, you know, starting around like 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. So my productive time is 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Yours is 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Fine. But the rule still applies, right? Like that's your four hours of, of hardcore work. So for you, maybe nothing productive happens between whatever, 1 a.m. and and 9 a.m. Yeah, so on that time management thing, you got to look at your life, and there's definitely going to be an hour somewhere in most people's lives that they can cut out of some meaningless activity. I know for myself, happened to me not too long ago because of our election and all that was going on with it. I had never watched the news in my life, completely opposed to it, preached to everybody about how not to watch it. Then I got wrapped up in myself. And frankly, I got to a point where I literally had to cut myself off. I had to say, that's it. I am not 
turning that on until the end, or I'm only going to look at one newspaper. You know, I, I literally had to cut that off. You can get quickly drawn into these things and go down that spiral. So when you notice it, you've got to turn it around. And it's so funny because the moment, moment I turned it, turned it around, my life was better. <laughs> it wasn't just as soon as my daily existence was way better by not having it constantly bombarded with the news. And, you know, coming from someone who never was into it, who got roped into it, I think a lot of us right now are roped into that. So that's just one area where we can all kind of turn it off and shut it down. You can find out at the end of the day what happened, but you don't need to check in every five seconds. And it is such a distraction as well. So um, I'm all about cutting myself off from the TV and even had to do it recently. So yep. <laughs> I'm totally, totally on board with that. Um do you still do one-on-one -on -one coaching with people if I wanted to connect with you on a personal level and say, hey, I, I need an overhaul here? Yeah, I do. I work with uh, seven people right now. Um, I'm pretty limited with, with who I'll actually work with, but I monitor your sleep. I monitor your heart rate variability. I monitor every bite of food and every supplement you put into your mouth because you take photos of it and send it to me. And then uh, I write out a uh, meal plan and supplementation protocols for you based on your blood work, your genetics, your gut testing, uh, your microbiome, and uh, your hormonal panel and continuously monitor those throughout the year. And then I write out uh, each of the little workouts, biohacks, et cetera, to do during the day to improve your life. And, uh, then, uh, the expectation is that the people who I work with actually take notes on that, leave questions. So there's some accountability worked in. Obviously that's a, that's a little bit more of, of kind of like a, a hefty dive into coaching and, and not inexpensive. Uh, and then I also have just, you know, my inner circle on my website, which is a little bit more of like a Q and a forum access to my wife and I, and, you know, access to some inner circle videos that I put out, some protected content, things along those lines. So that, and that's a little bit more of kind of like a, like a, like not a group coaching model per se, but more of, of like a little bit more intimate access to me that, that you don't get, you know, on like the comment section of the, of the blog post or whatever. So, so yeah, I do some, I do some coaching still. I would love to ask you, and I know we're all individuals and so this is not do what Ben do, does or do what L does, but are there you said you don't, your children don't take many supplements. I know you've biohacked over the years with many. Are there any thoroughfares that on a regular basis you are consuming in the way of supplements? Mm -hmm. I take creatine every day, about five grams, simply because it's been shown in so many research studies to be safe and to have not only strength and power-based effects, but also nootropic effects, as well as the ability to stave off the, the natural sarcopenia that occurs with age, as well as potentially having an effect on uh, testosterone. So I take creatine every day. I, uh, I take, uh, some form of an omega three every day, whether it's fish oil or you know, a can of sardines or <laughs> which I know is in the supplement, but I go out of my way to get, get a good amount of anti-inflammatory omega three fatty acids into my body. And sometimes that's fermented cod liver oil. Sometimes it's krill oil. It's just whatever happens to be around. So I do a creatine, I do a fish oil, uh, generally if I am traveling, I will either have a multivitamin or a greens supplement on me because I, I eat less when I travel and I also have less access to really good high quality food when I travel. So I kind of have to do like a shotgun to cover my bases, you know, either traveling with a packet of athletic greens or Organifi green juice or, you know, some, some form of like a green powder. Uh, and then the, I like the thorn multivitamin that I'll use as kind of like insurance when I'm traveling. Uh, and then aside from that, I, you know, I treat supplements the way, same way that I treat food, right? Like you open my refrigerator and you'll find like 
you know, uh, organic carrots and sauerkraut and kefir and yogurt and some chia seed slurry and some, you know, some, some nice fatty ground beef and a little organic chicken, et cetera. But I'm not eating all that every day, right? Like it's, it's certain days I'll eat certain things. So for example, if I have a very busy, hectic, stressful day, uh, I will likely be taking a little bit of extra hydrochloric acid and digestive enzymes because I realize the link between the gut brain axis and stress. Or if I plan on, as I do, competing in a very hot race in Asheville, North Carolina in a couple of weeks, I will load with colostrum for two weeks leading up to that race because it's been shown to decrease gut permeability in the heat for athletes. And for a week leading up to that race, I will load with beet powder. And so, you know, some of these things I'll, you know, supplements I'll use, uh, you know, as, as the case may require. Um, Is the beet powder as a means to sort of increase VO2 max during that race? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what that's for. Nitric oxide and blood flow. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the same could be, the same could be said, you know, speak of the devil for like, for like sex. For example, if I know my, you know, it's, it's date night with my wife and I, I'll might supplement with Sustantia and Epimedium that morning and then have yeah, that, that similar beet powder or a cacao extract or something like that in the evening to improve like, you know, the quality of erection and blood flow and orgasm and things like that. And so, so, I will, so your um, wife is very lucky. That's a pretty awesome husband who's going through those great <laughs> lengths to prepare for a love session. You're awesome. Yeah, random sex doesn't happen so much when you have kids as much as like, you know, you got to plan for it. You got to put aside the date nights, things like that. And and I'm all, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a biohacker and, you know, I I'm, I, I think you, you can you can hack pleasure in the same way you can hack just by anything else. So, so yeah, so for me, for supplements, I've got a whole cupboard full of supplements, but it's not like I take them all every day, you know, like even... You know, I mentioned something like LSD, right? Like I'll take something like that once a week. I'll, I'll take a microdose of LSD typically on a Friday, which is more of like a creative writing day for me, for example. So, so yeah, it really kind of, kind of spans the gamut when it comes to supplements. And I would just caution whoever is listening in to, you know, if you've got like 20 different bottles of supplements that people have advised you to take, there's no need to take those every day. Just like there's no need to go into your pantry and eat everything in your pantry every day. It's like you, you take certain supplements on certain occasions when the need may arise. So uh, so yeah, absolutely. And I do want to mention too, you have some products, one of which I tried that was great. You have an anti-aging sort of like facial serum or you could put it on your body too. Um, and it's a lovely, and what's great about it too, is there's some oregano in there. And so you can kind of feel that astringentness of it. And I also do like that smell because I like, I love oregano oil in for what it has done for my life in certain circumstances, again, not like an everyday thing. So I really, I really love that, that product. I just wanted to share that with the audience because you sent me a sample and it was really great. And I wouldn't say that unless I, unless I believed it. Yeah. I, I put, I put a lot of little stem cell precursors in there, like, like aloe vera, uh, you know, triphala for collagen. There's, there's lavender in there, which has a lot of good, mm-hmm. uh, you know, antiviral properties. Of course the oregano, which, which can kill a lot of harmful microbes on the skin, you know, for, for acne and eczema, things like that, you know, palmarosa, geronium, turmeric is in there. Uh, what else? Juniper berry, a little bit of patchouli, not, not so much that you smell like a hippie, but uh, patchouli is actually really good at, uh, <laughs> at, at, uh, helping it with, with, with wrinkles. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you, you take a little bit of that skin serum and you, you put it on one, just pick one wrinkle on your face, put it on there for 30 days in a row and you can literally watch it, it disappear. And, and again, I don't want to sound, sound like a shill or a snake oil salesman, but I use this stuff freaking every day. Uh, and, and, 
Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and if people don't know what Ben and his wife looks like, go online and take a look, and you might want to <laughs> do whatever they're doing with their face. Uh, no, and it does it in the after effects of it. It's it's right. so soft. I use it in my hair too. Oh, I mean, grant, granted, I know it's expensive, but I, I frankly, believe it or not, I get a pretty good deal on it. So yeah, <laughs> I, I put it on my on my, on my uh, face and in my hair. Uh, interesting, excellent. Um, we will put all of the ways to connect with you in our show notes. Anything you'd like to leave our audience with? You know what? I think we about covered it. Uh, just remember to go go take your cold shower today. Oh, here I'll give you one other thing uh, that I've that I've got going in my office. Uh, aside from the the ayahuasca incense burner, uh, rosemary. I'm on a big rosemary kick uh. right now, so I've got a little oil diffuser on my desk and. I diffuse a lot of rosemary. It's a it's a great little kind of nootropic pick me up during the day. So if you haven't yet tried uh, diffusing rosemary in in your workplace, try that out. It's it's a great little addition to the day. I'm really glad you mentioned that. I'm actually such a huge fan of rosemary essential oil. And then also Stephen Gundry, who you mentioned earlier, Plant Paradox author, he talks about how that's his main herb. He he really sort of pushes on people. Yeah, a lot, a lot of just just Google rosemary longevity, and you'll find these these anecdotes of people putting longevity in their coffee, and this idea behind like you know old men in Sardinia basically eating rosemary and right. having wild crazy sex parties at night, and it's a it's an interesting little herb. <laughs> so yeah. Aside from the beet powder, maybe you can do some of that before the date night uh, as well. It was so, so great, Ben, all of the contributions you've made to the nutraceutical, nutritional health, bodybuilding, et cetera, work, uh, you know, fields. Ben Greenfield Fitness.com, of course, podcast of the same name, and we will put all of the links uh, to connect with you in your show notes. Thank you so much for coming on and really enjoy your honesty and, and everything that you're doing. Cool. Thanks for having me on, Al. I appreciate it. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here, and I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching but have been held back by worries such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching. And we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.